Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for January 26th, 2018. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the latest movie news, including the truth behind the new Crocodile Dundee movie, the latest shenanigans from Movie Pass, the Shining sequel getting a director, Steven Spielberg's next two films, the first set photos from Captain Marvel, some big changes at the Weinstein Company, Big Little Lies Season 2 has added a big A-list star, and finally, a Mission Impossible 6 uh, title and new photos from that movie. Uh, my name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined today by the managing editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And writers, Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, so as you guys heard, we have a lot of news to cover today. Uh, I am stepping in for our regular host, Peter Serretta. So, uh, Peter, we wish you well. He'll be back, I think, probably uh, early next week. So uh, let's just go ahead and dive straight into news. So, uh, Jacob, I think on one of the previous episodes of this show, we were talking about this uh, bizarre Crocodile Dundee movie, and now the truth has finally come out about this thing. What, what is going on with this? Well, as listeners may remember, or as those of you on the internet have probably seen, there have been a series of teasers for a movie called Dundee, The Son of a Legend Returns Home, which was being presented as a sequel to Crocodile Dundee, the uh, comedy series starring Paul Hogan that originated in the 80s about an Australian, uh, what would be the word here, an adventurer, um, wilderness expert. I think so, yeah. Who goes on various adventures in Australia and the United States. And the joke here was that Dan McBride would be playing his long-lost American son, and Chris Hemsworth would be playing the, the uh, goofy sidekick to McBride's Brian Dundee. And by the time we saw the second teaser, as we talked about previously on this show, we all started to suspect that this was a joke, a gag, maybe even a Super Bowl commercial. And it turns out that we were completely right. Uh, Australia's Brisbane Times reports that it is, in fact, a marketing campaign for tourism Australia, tipped off because uh, Chris Hemsworth is actually an ambassador for Australian tourism. So Australians actually kind of got the heads up there before us because they, they knew that, and we Americans did not. And the uh, scuttlebutt is that we'll be seeing an advertisement or start of a new campaign 
uh, with the Super Bowl. Uh, and it means the Australian government has spent a couple million dollars or however much it is to buy airtime during the Super Bowl to create this lavish new campaign to convince Americans to go visit Australia using um, Hollywood stars and Crocodile as a name. This actually isn't unusual because Paul Hogan starred in a series of Australian tourism ads in the 80s, uh, which were all about, hey, look, at Crocodile uh go to visit Australia, it's beautiful. And they seem to be kind of doing the same thing here. But instead of being a shirtless Paul Hogan, uh, it is now... Is now uh, Danny McBride acting very silly, so this, this isn't very surprising. But I think we're all weirdly bummed out that this isn't actually real because a new clip arrived today that was actually pretty funny. What do you guys think? We are played for fools. <laughs> I was actually quite excited for this movie. Like once I sort of said, you know, this would actually make a great comedy. I would really enjoy it. Danny McBride and Chris Hemsworth sounds like a great combination. I love to see Chris Hemsworth stretch out his comedy chops but yeah it's not a real thing but the clip you were talking about jacob is hilarious and it's a minute long and just makes me wish we could see the whole movie uh chris i know you changed your slack avatar uh, profile photo <laughs> to something from this this fake crocodile dundee movie what did you think about the the new clip that came out today yeah the clip is great i i too am upset that it's not a real movie i'm hoping because, you know, Super Bowl uh, commercials, they can only be so long. And I'm wondering just how much footage they really shot for this. Because, you know, they're, they didn't just create fake trailers. They created fake clips. And I'm wondering if one day all of this footage is going to be just put together somewhere. I hope it will. Because I will watch it. Put it. Just release a Blu-ray or something. Go ahead. I'll buy it. <laughs> it should be noted that the, uh, the ads are directed by Steve Rogers. Not the, not the Avenger, but a, a commercial director uh, who's done ads for Nike, Old Spice, and Audi. And the ads are actually really beautifully made. They, they're really well shot, and they showcase the Australian wilderness quite well. So even though the focus is initially on, hey, look at Dan McBride be very silly, as an ad for how varied the, the, the landscapes and cultures of Australia is, I think it could be a pretty effective little ad. Awesome. All right, so let's move on. Uh, we do have a lot to cover. So um, Meryl Streep is going to be starring in the second season of Big Little Lies, the HBO, uh, what was originally planned to be a limited series, but is now sort of uh, blown up into such a big uh, cultural touchstone that now that it's getting a second season. Um, she is going to be playing, uh, well, I'll try to dance around this without really spoiling the first season too much, because I know people are still coming to that show, as you should, because it's it's fantastic. Um She's going to be playing the mother of a character who dies in the first season, and she sort of rolls into this beachside town uh, to try to discover the truth about what happened to that deceased character. And I'll just I'll leave it at that. But uh, this is the first time that Meryl Streep is going to be starring in a major TV show since she won an Emmy in the early 2000s for her work in Angels in America. I think she was on um, something called Web Therapy that uh, Lisa Kudrow did, and like a couple years ago, but that is not really like a full-blown major uh, TV show in the same way that something like Big Little Lies is. Um, for me, I watched Big Little Lies, and as soon as the first season ended, I was like, okay, I'm glad that that's done and it's wrapped up neatly, and that was a great, uh, you know, sort of mini event. But then as soon as they announced the second season, I was like, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to recapture you know, the greatness of, of what they did with that first season. The idea of Meryl Streep coming on board definitely alleviates some of my concern. Did anybody else watch the first season of Big Little Lies? And is anybody else excited about uh, Meryl coming to HBO? 
I think your silence is your answer there. Has anybody else seen this? I, my, my wife's been begging me to watch it, and I think now that Meryl's in season two, I'm going to be catching back up. But I've heard nothing but acclaim, and, and I, my reaction has always been, I'll get around to it, I'll get around to it, and now I guess I have to. That's really, really good. So I would, I, if anybody else out there who's listening is in the same boat as Jacob, I would uh, definitely recommend catching up uh, before Season 2 comes. Uh, I think you still probably have a little bit of time, because the expectation is that Season 2 is going to be coming back to HBO sometime in 2019. So there's a little bit of time there. Uh, let's move on to Mission Impossible 6. So HT... Uh, Tom Cruise has joined Instagram and revealed the title for Mission Impossible 6. What is it, and what do we know about this movie? So Tom Cruise has announced informally the title for Mission Impossible 6 with not one, but two deadly, deadly stunts in which he, which he showcased on his Instagram and his Twitter. Uh, so the title for Mission Impossible 6 is Mission Impossible Fallout. Hopefully, not an indicator of how the stunts will go, but um, it's supposed to be something that deals with perhaps nuclear fallout, the fallout of Ethan Hunt's relationships, personal and professional, and uh, that's the only clue that we've gotten from the director. But the the stunts that Tom Cruise has been performing for the Mission Possible uh, films have been sort of uh, progressively getting more and more. Uh, dangerous and and uh, amazing to, to watch, but also very concerning uh, for the actor who is uh, perhaps Hollywood's best special effect, as Jacob said in his article. <laughs> but the first um, stunt we see him is uh, hanging off a helicopter, which is something we actually have kind of seen him do before in the last Mission Impossible movie where he was hanging off the side of the airplane. Um, and then the next stunt was the more uh, spectacular one where he was jumping uh, between buildings without a harness or a net in sight. And it definitely looks like something that would do bodily harm or fatal harm to someone. And maybe it's the, the stunt that got him injured that helped start that um, led to the delay of the production of Mission Impossible 6. We won't know. Tom Cruise seems very proud of it. And uh, now that he's got an Instagram, we'll probably see him sharing more and more of his daring adventures. <laughs> Yeah, this uh, photo, well, it should also be mentioned that the photo of him hanging off the side of the helicopter, at first when I saw that, I was like, okay, yeah, this is sort of, you know, we've seen this kind of thing been done before. But then I noticed that it doesn't appear to be uh, piloted by anyone. It seems like <laughs> it's just hanging out there in the middle of the sky. So I'm not really sure if he's entering or exiting this helicopter, but uh, I'm sort of excited to see what that, what the hell is going on there. Um, Chris or Jacob, do you guys have any thoughts about that photo or the one where he's like, uh, yeah, midair and looking like a hardcore parkour person, like mid building? Uh, actually, just moments before we started recording this, I was watching a clip from the Graham Norton show that literally just hit where Tom Cruise is discussing this injury. It turns out this photo is of the injury and they actually brought footage, uh, unfinished footage from the shoot uh, of Cruz injuring himself in various angles. You can actually see the safety harness attached to him in the, in the shot, even though it looks like an actual shot from the movie, as he slams into the wall and breaks his ankle. So we'll put, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, and it's actually, so yeah, confirmed. This is the stunt, not the one where he's hanging out the helicopter, but the one where he's jumping is the one where Tom Cruise had to delay production because he broke his ankle. Wow. 
Um, all right, let's move on to uh, Captain Marvel. So, uh, Chris, I think it was yesterday, the first uh, set photos from uh, Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel hit the internet featuring Brie Larson in uh, a costume that looked uh, a little bit like the Green Power Ranger, right? What, what do we know about this? Yeah, so yeah, obviously these are set photos. They're not, uh, you know, they're not color corrected. They're not, you know, being shot through a cinematographer's eye. You know, they're set photos, so they're not going to look like this in the film but for our first you know official or i guess unofficial look at captain marvel they're slightly underwhelming i mean uh for one thing the costume is green which uh as many people have pointed out you know the original captain marvel costume was green but i don't really care it just looks bad so i don't like the (laughs) color you know i don't care if it was the original color it doesn't look that great and someone actually created a photoshop uh version changes the colors to the more traditional colors and the Photoshop actually looks really good. So I guess like green is just not Brie Larson's color for some reason. It's the only explanation I could think of, but again, these are, these are set photos. They're not, you know, how it's going to look in the final film, but it is slightly underwhelming. I have to say. So HT, what did you think about these? That's a really good photo of Rita Repulsa. (laughs) 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 No, Um, I was also a little over underwhelmed by the photo of the costume. I was very excited about the concept art that was introduced of Brie Larson in costume at Comic-Con last year, and it did not look very similar, but once we did see the Photoshop version of it with the colors inserted, it did seem closer to the concept art. So I'm guessing either maybe like the green is the original Captain Marvel costume we see, or the colors are getting digitally inserted by a green screen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think our own Brad Oman was mentioning in our, our Slack channel that uh, he, he was sort of wondering that if Hank Pym had anything to do with the creation of this suit, because it reminded him a little bit of, uh, of the Ant-Man suit, and we know this is a period piece. Jacob, do you think there's any validity to that? I, I think it's a good suggestion. I, I do think that all of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe costumes do have the same aesthetic, which is um, the basic iconography made more realistic realistic in quotation marks so i i I wouldn't be surprised if if they make that connection uh bring back the digitally de-aged michael douglas for a cameo and have him uh make a suit uh it it makes sense i like you guys don't have super strong feelings about this but like i said i'm also waiting to see how this looks when it's actually lit properly in camera and with the right colors because that Photoshop's really good and so much better than the, than the version we're seeing here. But then again, the first Iron Man suit was a pile of junk. The second one was a silver-looking, monotonous thing. And then Tony Stark got his classic armor in time for the third act. So I think we're going to see something similar here. Yeah, for sure. Um, so this is one of those stories that I haven't even had a, ch- a chance to read yet. Uh, the Wine Scene Company is getting a brand new name and a female-friendly makeover. HT, educate me. What's happening here? So the Weinstein Company is in the midst of a sort of bidding war for new invet- for new purchasers to take over the company, which is uh, approximately $350 million in debt. And um, this is kind of going to get in the weeds, but I will say that the headline is – I'm not, I'm not going to say misleading, but they haven't yet decided on a new name. Essentially, the office is moving to a new – luxury office near uh, the Broad Green Pictures uh, Larchmont Village area in LA and uh, they're 
trying to change the name as well as change the office workspace to make it more female friendly. The name, because it's so closely connected to Harvey Weinstein and they want to uh, distance themselves as much as possible from it um, and the female friendly makeover because they want to make it a more inclusive and welcoming space for female workers and female employees. So the names that have been suggested by some marketing companies for the Weinstein Company include uh, Assembly Hall or Creative Trade Studios. So something, or Wonder Hill. Sorry, that was the last one. So the, there's nothing that's been set in stone for the new name yet. And um, the female-friendly makeover in, involves uh, more private breastfeeding rooms for new moms uh, and a more open workspace, like I was saying. And uh, they're going away from the grand private sanctums that Hollywood executives would often re receive in the old offices. So the Weinstein Company is kind of in the midst of a lot of change right now because they are currently uh, looking to be bought by Maria Contreras Sweet, who is a small, a former small business administrator under President Obama. So she's in talks to purchase the indie distributor for around $500 million and would uh, instate in a new majority female board of directors and investors. I mean, that, to me, that sounds like the best possible outcome for, you know, a company that uh, that seemed to be just like the uh, basically the the Hollywood equivalent of the actual garbage fire that that everyone <laughs> sort of always talks about Hollywood being. Um, I mean, is there any way? Do do we know anything more about this person? Do we think that she does she have any film experience? Do we know sort of what she might be doing with the company and and whether they're gonna you know sort of, sort of stay in the same um, in the same genres and and uh, the same lane for lack of a better term that the the current wine scene company was in. Yeah, we don't know much other than she's in talks to purchase the company, although she is reportedly contributing around $20 million to a multi-million dollar victim fund that the Weinstein Company is establishing for Harvey Weinstein's accusers. So that's uh, a big a big step in the right direction for the Weinstein Company. We don't really know what direction she'll take the company in. We know that she'll be um, lessening their their debt that they're currently in as well. But otherwise, we're not really sure like what direction the Weinstein Company will be going in after this or whether any filmmakers would really be willing to work with them because uh, a lot of filmmakers and films have been kind of dropped off mm -hmm. uh, after the events of the of the Harvey Weinstein scandal. Right. Yeah. I think the current war is probably the, uh, the big, um, the big loser in that whole situation. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm not sure what's going to happen with that movie. It's going to, if it's going to get picked up by somebody else, I don't think any, any real word has come out about that, but we'll keep you guys posted if we hear anything else. Uh, let's move on to Steven Spielberg. So, uh, Spielberg has ready player one coming out this March, but he is always uh, a prolific movie maker. He is one of the fastest filmmakers out there as evidenced by the, you know, him, throwing the post together basically in between movies last year. Uh, Chris, what do we know about his next two projects? Yeah, so Steven Spielberg is 71 years old and he's uh, he shows no signs of slowing down. Um, like you said, he, he made the post and Ready Player One pretty much on top of each other. And now uh, room, uh, news just broke that he's casting for a remake of West Side Story, the, the musical. Uh, there's an open casting call for that now, but also he's planning on shooting the fifth Indiana Jones film with an intention of releasing that in 2020. So 
uh, West Side Story, there's not an actual word on when the shooting is going to start on that, but Indiana Jones is expected to start shooting in 2019. So look for those two films very soon, probably. Um, my guess is they'll come out months apart, kind of like The Post and uh, Ready Player One are doing. And I think the, the report that I was reading was talking about how Spielberg is really looking to um, you know dip into the Latino community for casting for West Side Story, which is something that the original film didn't really do. Um, it, right. I mean, it had like a couple people of, of uh, you know, Latino descent or, or, you know, somebody who was Puerto Rican, I think, played one of the main roles. But for the most part, it was sort of a mishmash of cultural backgrounds for that movie. But it seems like this time he's going to be trying to... Uh, to stay more um, uh, culturally appropriate, I guess, with the casting. Is that right? Yeah. Um, the, the, the Hollywood reporter reports that the reason the, uh, the casting is starting right now is because ca- Spielberg is taking the casting of this film. Very important. Basically the whole project hinges on the casting. And if he doesn't get that right, he doesn't want to make it. So he's, he's definitely very focused on getting that, that element, right. And this is something, a, a passion project of his that he's been talking about wanting to make a musical for a long time, and it's specifically wanting to make a remake of West Side Story for a long time as well. Um, H.C. or Jacob, do you guys have any thoughts about this? Have you, is this, uh, even even with Spielberg behind the camera, is this blasphemy to uh, try to remake West Side Story? Well, here's my blasphemous response, and that's the original West Side Story. The movie is only okay. I don't think oh, it's wow. as good as its reputation suggests. I like the thought of Spielberg making a musical, making a musical that on stage is much better than the movie is very exciting. And they haven't announced too much about this, but the early word is that it's being modernized. Uh, so instead of taking place in the New York of years gone by, it'll be more modernized in New York, which I think is a, a fascinating place to stage a musical about, about criminal gangs, a, a Romeo and Juliet retelling uh, in modern day New York uh, with that racial backdrop could be genuinely fascinating. And uh, as a side note, I do love that um, this will be, I think, the fourth time Spielberg has made two movies, essentially, in one year. Because uh, he had Shindler's List in Jurassic Park. Uh, he had Munich and War of the Worlds. He had The Post. And he had Ready Player One. And now he has these two. And I think those are my favorite years. <laughs> the years where Spielberg <laughs> says, I'm going to make my art film and my uh, blockbuster popcorn movie at the exact same time. And that's why he's the best. Very cool. Uh, H.C., do you have any thoughts about this? Do you have any uh, any feelings about the original West Side Story? Um, I, I like the original West Side Story. I'm not particularly uh, connected to it, but I'm really excited to see Steven Spielberg take on a musical because this is the first time he's ever done so. And I think his sort of directorial flourishes are really well suited to, to a musical. So I'm not sure why he hasn't done it before. Uh, Jacob, let's talk about Gerald's Game director Mike Flanagan and his next project. What does he have on tap? Well, Mike Flanagan is one of our most promising horror filmmakers out there now. Maybe promising is not the right word. He is, he's generally one of the best guys making horror movies right now. And he's staying in the Stephen King business after Gerald's Game last year with an adaptation of Doctor Sleep, which is a sequel to The Shining, uh, and not a sequel to the movie The Shining, a sequel to Stephen King's novel The Shining. And this is interesting for a number of reasons. One, it's interesting because it's Mike Flanagan making another Stephen King horror movie. He's very good at that. Gerald's Game is very good. It's on Netflix, and you should watch it. Um, but also because Doctor Sleep uh, is very much a sequel to Stephen King's novel. It, it Stanley Kubrick's movie adaptation of The Shining strays a lot from uh, the original book, both in terms of plot and in terms of tone. And King's very 
vocal about not being a fan of what Kubrick did to his book. I love them both. I think a lot, I think a lot of people love them both. So I'm curious on one level if Dr. Sleep will attempt to be a sequel to the movie or to the book or to maybe try to hedge its bets and be a sequel to both so people who are familiar with one or the other can both see it. But the basic gist of the book is that it follows uh, Danny Torrance, the kid from the first movie. He was grown up. He's become an alcoholic. He's become a bit of a walking train wreck. He sobers up, regains his psychic powers, tries to help people with them. Uh, supernatural chaos runs amok. And the weird thing here is that this is not a good book. Uh, I think Chris can back me up here because he's, he's the other Stephen King fan on this call. Uh, but if anyone can make this good, it's Mike Flanagan because Gerald's Game was an unadaptable book that made into somehow a really good movie. Uh, Chris, do you think Dr. Sleep can be a good movie with Flanagan here? I do think in Mike Flanagan's hands, it will be good. Uh, the book is, is I dare say, terrible. And I'm a huge Stephen <laughs> King fan, but this book is bad. And I was very excited when, was, when the book was announced because it's like, oh, you know, Stephen King doesn't write a lot of sequels. You know, all his books are connected, but he doesn't really write sequels. So when it was announced that he's made, he's writing a sequel to The Shining, I got so excited. I got the book. And like 10 pages into it, I was like, oh, no, this is this is not going to be good. And I was right. It was terrible. But <laughs> there are good ideas in the book. So I think if Mike Flanagan ignores 90 percent of the book and focuses on the good ideas, he can turn this into something good. <laughs> that is fascinating. Uh, H.C., you haven't read this book, right? Uh, I have not. Okay. Yeah, me neither. Uh, we'll <laughs> leave it. We'll leave it to the Sting, the Stephen King fans to uh, to but, talk about that one. But it should be pointed out real quick that Mike Flanagan is really busy. I mean, he just released Gerald's Game. He's currently making a TV adaptation of The Haunting of Hill House for Netflix. And then he's moving right into Doctor Sleep. And this is after he did um, the surprisingly good uh, Ouija: Origin of Evil, uh, Hush, Oculus. He's just nonstop busy, and all his movies have been good. And like this round of applause for Mike Flanagan for somehow <laughs> like not screwing up any of these movies. Uh, we have to actually have a big article written by Chris on the site about how good Mike Flanagan is. He's just been toiling away and just consistently being impressive. So I think this is really exciting news. Yeah, and Gerald's game was really good. And and I think it's also important to note that he is rewriting a script that was originally written by Akiva Goldsman, who is uh, a writer of um, mixed. He's, he's terrible. Yeah, he's, he's pretty. I'm trying he's to be really, nice. But, uh, he's really bad. He wrote The Dark Tower, and that was terrible. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, He has his name attached to a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's like one of those guys that um, is responsible for like the uh, the cinematic universe of the Transformers movies, and he's like he's one of those guys that must be um, a, a much better producer than he is a writer because he's been around for a long time. I think he has an Oscar win or or at least nomination for A Beautiful Mind. Um, but oh, he won that thing like four oh, years yeah, after writing Batman and Robin. He wow, won an Oscar. Wow. Yeah, so uh, so I'm glad to hear that that Flanagan, at least from the sound of it at this stage, is going to be uh, sort of taking over the project and and um really sort of putting his his own spin on it because i agree gerald's game was really good and i think this project has a lot of potential if uh, if chris is right and if he's able to to mine and excavate the uh, the good nuggets out of stephen king's book that should be uh, something to see so uh let's move on to our last news item of this episode and that is uh the shenanigans going on with movie pass so actually I know, HT, you wrote an article about this, but Chris, you did too, not too long ago. So, Chris, why don't you tell us about um, how MoviePass removed a few theaters from their what, a list of acceptable theaters that they work with, and then HT can follow up with maybe the reasoning behind why they might have done that. 
Uh, yeah, so um, the other day, uh, news broke that several large, high-traffic AMC theaters are no longer honoring MoviePass. And AMC has had trouble with MoviePass in the past. Just they, don't, you know, they don't like they don't like their model. But it was actually not AMC who stopped them. It was MoviePass themselves who who basically made pulled this move and turned. Uh, those theaters off. And um, at the time it was speculated that it, that it was probably due to just high ticket prices. Movie pass did not want to deal with these theaters selling, you know, movie tickets for $20. So that was part of the reason the high ticket prices, but the main reason seems to be that a, that movie pass is using their subscription base as leverage against AMC. So what happened was MoviePass was pulling coverage from these 10 AMC locations. And um, it said, it basically had a lot of this language saying, MoviePass subscribers are not theater loyal. They're happy to drive to a theater that accepts MoviePass because of MoviePass value. And it was revealed in their announcement that um, MoviePass currently represents approximately 62% AMC's operating income. Uh, so I mean, this, that's a huge percentage. Huge percentage. So by taking away um, the, sub, their subscribers from the biggest uh, AMC theaters, they're taking away possibly a huge portion of income for AMC. And the reason they're doing this is they're trying to leverage uh, this against AMC to turn a bigger profit. So essentially, they're trying to. Um, we've been kind of questioning how sustainable their their business model is, and what they're trying to do now is more aggressively persuade theaters to start sharing increased revenue from concession sales. So they've already approached AMC with a deal, um, asking AMC for a slice of admissions and concessions, which would make around two. Two million a week, according to MoviePass Insider. So they're seeking currently a three dollar cut on AMC tickets plus twenty percent of concessions. So AMC for now um, has said they have no intention of sharing any admissions revenue or concessions revenue with MoviePass. But um, at this point, uh, MoviePass is kind of playing hardball with AMC and is basically using their subscribers as as fodder and as pawns in this game to get more money, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure subscribers who are close to these big theaters that got taken off the service are not completely happy about. But in the end, Movie Pass is a really good deal. I mean, I was one of those people who my main uh, AMC theater that was close to me uh, got taken off Movie Pass, so I'm a little bit miffed. But in the end, I'll probably just end up going to a movie, a AMC that's a little further away. Yeah. So it seems to me like AMC is um, is intimidated by you know these these new guys who are rolling in and, and starting to flex their muscles a little bit. Jacob, do you think that that uh, AMC should give in to Movie Pass's demands, or do you think they're trying to just weather the storm here and see how long Movie Pass is going to be able to stick around? Because we know, I think we reported the other day that uh, on the show that Movie Pass is now getting into distribution. They're like co-acquiring movies with with different uh, distribution companies and stuff. So it seems like they're making moves to become, you know, a more significant player in the industry on top of already being responsible for 
an insane percentage of, of AMC's revenue. Do you think that, that AMC people are sort of uh, shaking in their boots here? Or do you think they're just like, uh, you know, locking things down and, and just waiting for MoviePass to die out? This is a really good question and one that I'm going to uh, plead the fifth on because this is a showdown between two garbage companies. <laughs> you have AMC in one corner, <laughs> probably the, who tend to supply such terrible theater-going experiences all over the country. And you have MoviePass, this young gun who's going to be broke in seven months if they don't find a way to make money. It's like trying to show have a showdown with this other major company in the most obnoxious way possible by leveraging their customers against them. And I'm just going to sit back and watch them both burn at each other for now and see who comes out on top. I don't have MoviePass. I don't go to AMC. I'm, I'm blessed to live in a city where I have much better options. But right now, I think it's just this weird game of chicken between two companies that I have no stake in and I think are making bad choices on all around. MoviePass, very recent bad choices. I mean, and uh, AMC making bad choices for, God, over a decade now, for as long as they haven't been replacing bulbs in their theaters or projecting films with the right matting or doing anything right so screw screw them both screw them both burn it all down (laughs) so i'm also in a position living in los angeles where there really isn't an amc that's you know close and easily accessible for me so i end up going to different kind of theaters but chris i'm I'm wondering do you have movie pass and is an amc your sort of a preferred theater of choice due to convenience does this affect you in any way well, I live in the Philadelphia region, which has terrible theaters, so I have really no choice but to go to AMC's. I don't have movie pass, and uh, this is going to make me sound very snobby and elitist, but I don't really pay for movies. I go to when I go to the movies, I go to press screenings nine times out of ten, so mm-hmm. I haven't really had a need for movie pass. Yeah. And you know, the rare times when I go, I just you know, I go to a matinee and pay pay that price. Right. Yeah, I'm, but I'm sort of AMC is boat. terrible. So, <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see who pl- who blinks first in this bizarre game of chicken, and uh, whether or not the customers end up, you know, rising up and revolting because they're basically being uh, played as the fools in between this this uh, ridiculous game between these two companies. But uh, that's going to bring us to the end of this episode of Slash Film Daily. This po- podcast is published every weekday, uh, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features that you can find at SlashFilm.com. You can find all of the stories that we talked about uh, on today's show at SlashFilm.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all of the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, or comments to us at peter at SlashFilm.com, and leave your name and general geographic location in case we want to mention that on the air if we read your email. Uh, please rate and review the show on uh, iTunes and spread the word. And let's talk, go around the circle real quickly, and you guys tell me where we can find more of your work on the internet. Jacob, let's start with you. I'm on SlashFilm.com every single day, and on Twitter at Jacob S. Hall. HG? I'm also at SlashFilm.com. I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. And Chris? I, too, am at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at CEvangelista413. And my name is Ben. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you guys on Monday.